Hi there, I'm Anna Smith. I'm a film critic, broadcaster and host of the Girls on Film podcast. Very pleased to be here. Welcome to our directing masterclass for Guru Live Spring, which is a joint programme of events from BAFTA Cymru and BAFTA Scotland. Before we get started, some quick things to mention. If you have a question that you'd like to ask during the session, then please use the Q&A function, which will be open throughout the session, and I'll be answering these questions later. Closed captioning is also available now, so you can turn it on the bottom of your screen via the CC button. You can also follow a live transcript of the event via a link that will be sent in the chat. So without further ado, let's welcome our fabulous speaker, the director and writer, Prano Bailey-Bond. Welcome, Prano. Hello, Anna. How are you? I'm really well. Lovely to see you. Thank you so yeah. much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Well, as you know, I'm a big fan of Sensor, and I'm sure a lot of people watching are too. Um, and we're all really keen to know about how you got into this industry in the first place. So start from the word go. When did you decide this is what you wanted to do? So, I mean, I'm originally from Wales. I grew up in the countryside in the middle of nowhere, and I was really obsessed as a young person with both painting and drawing and acting, and I thought I wanted to act. Um, and I ended up going and doing a performing arts course, and it was while I was on the performing arts course that I got my first opportunity to officially direct something. Um, and I directed a, an absurdist play by Ionesco called The Chairs. And I think through that, that experience, as well as seeing myself acting on camera, I decided that I wanted to be on the other side of, uh, of the performance. Um, and, and I was always really obsessed with film and I've, we were kind of mainly working on that course with um, theatre, within theatre, but I, really liked taking the scenes that we were doing and placing them in real locations and and filming and and it was kind of through that experience I suppose that I started to realize that I was interested in being a filmmaker um, and at the time I didn't really distinguish between for example directing and editing so I learned how to edit I taught myself how to edit um, I think the first editing course that I went on was a a linear VHS editing course um, and then taught myself how to you know work on non-linear programs like Premiere and started to make my own short films living in Wales with my mates and and from there ended up moving to London and studied film. Were you always the kind of person that just did things you seem like a real doer you're like <laughs> oh I taught myself to do this I mean that's really impressive. <laughs> yeah I mean I guess it's like there's not there wasn't loads to do in Wales <laughs> so um I was very I've always been very project minded um in terms of both within the drawing that I was doing I used to create my own comics and and things like that and so learning to edit was really fun for me it was it was something that you know allowed me to I guess explore story and express myself and play with atmosphere in weird ways. I was really interested in sound design. And so, yeah, I definitely think I've always been um, the kind of person that, that goes, okay, let's just see what, how we can model this together. <laughs> well, it's learning on the job as they say, but clearly that has worked for you. And um, tell me more about when you started making films with your friends, what happened there? Um, well, <laughs> I wrote one of the first short film that I ever wrote and shot, which was shot on a DV camera um, 
everything I did everything myself except for my mum um came with the car at one point and lit some outdoor nighttime scenes for me with her car headlights um a couple of my friends because I was on a performing arts course a couple of friends from the course played the main characters and uh I do remember that the police were called out at one point because uh somebody had reported two men fighting and bleeding along a pathway near the supermarket in Aberystwyth um and so that was a lesson <laughs> in how people kind of interpret what you're doing when you're filming when there isn't a film crew around but yeah I mean I was just I suppose I was already working in a kind of genre space at that point even though I, I didn't really know what I was doing I was just writing stories and 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 putting them together however I could but that was I guess a film noir you know film um and then there was other stuff I was doing, just sketches and things with my friends. Did you ever have any schemes like, uh, like the sort of bit BAFTA breakthrough schemes that sort of helped you along the way? Um, not so much when I was starting out, to be honest. Um, most of my uh, early kind of filmmaking work was very independent. Um, the first time I got on a, a scheme maybe it wasn't the first time the first scheme that I felt really really changed things for me and really helped for me was network at LFF um so it's BFI network at London Film Festival and that was 2017 so not that long ago it was at the you know early part of developing sensor and I found that scheme really invaluable to be honest in in many ways I think it really helped me break down an imposter syndrome that I think many of us have. Um, I met some amazing filmmakers on, on there that have, you know, become friends and, and also a sort of network and a supportive network of filmmakers um, who those people are now kind of making their first features as well. Um, and just the access that we got to industry speakers and, you know, I guess, the fact that everybody had signed NDAs and could be really open and honest about their experiences was also really great. So yeah, that was an amazing experience for me. But I've I've also done Berlin Talents and um, a few other schemes like that. But that was the kind of first pivotal scheme for me. So it sounds like it's something that you would recommend, um, you know, budding directors signing up for something like that and getting that kind of mentoring and that experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think those schemes are great ways to, you know, the mentoring is is really important and really helpful because you're learning from people who have already trodden that path. Um, I would say sometimes it takes a couple of applications. So if you don't get on the first time, keep trying, you know. Um, I think I applied to Berlin Talents years back and and didn't get on and then applied again and I got on so I'd say just you know don't be put off there's only a few spaces on these things so it's about kind of trying to get in those into those schemes but they're not they're not the be all and end all you know ultimately the most important thing is that you're making films and and building a you know a team of collaborators around you and learning through actually making work 
Well, collaborators are so important, aren't they? I mean, can you talk to me in as much detail as you'd like about the kind of people, let's take Sensor as, you know, your, your, your major film as an example, um, the kind of people you collaborated with, how you found them and what kind of working relationships you had? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's quite a few people that I've worked with over numerous short films that I work with on Sensor. So, for example, uh, first off, my uh, director of photography, who's my longest uh like collaborator we met in university we both went to the London College of Printing and Annika Summerson she's called she arrived in the second year and I needed needed a DOP for a project and took a punt on the new girl and uh and we've been working together ever, ever since that point um so I always remind young filmmakers that you know particularly when I do talks at film schools or universities that your collaborators might be sitting next to you, you know, don't think that they're people that you're going to meet, you know, on a job in a few years time, they might be people you're already working with. And um, Annika is an incredibly talented DOP and I was lucky to kind of find her at that point. And I, I, I guess um, I've always tried to think about how, uh, how the work that somebody's you know if, if I'm collaborating on a project with somebody and it, you know early music videos early short films those people aren't getting paid how is that project going to benefit that person as well you know if you're growing together um side by side then I think that person's more likely to come back and work with you again um if you treat people well if you make sure that they get copies of whatever they need in order to develop their own portfolio um you know that all of those things are reasons why those relationships can kind of grow and become mutually beneficial and I think that's really important it's not all about you figuring out what you can get from other people it's about how you develop and grow together um, and so within that you know there's been other uh uh, team members like my makeup artist Ruth Pease who I worked with on Sensor and I first worked with her on a music video I found her through um, I was basically looking for somebody who could do kind of the creepy doll makeup and sort of weird horrible horror makeup for this music video and um, somebody recommended that I looked at the London College of Fashion's graduate website. So I looked on there and I found some of Ruth's work and it was incredible. So I got in touch and said, you know, I'm a filmmaker. My films have screened at these festivals. Would you be interested in working together? That was how we met. And again, we've been working together ever since. So, you know, there's different ways of finding people. I met my sound designer at a film festival in Paris, even though he's based in London. Um, he was working with another director that I knew and I thought his work was amazing. And when I had a short film, I approached him about that. And again, that's Tim Harrison who ended up doing the sound design on Sensor. Um, and then my co-writer, Anthony Fletcher, who when I was looking for a writer to work with, I reached out to different filmmaker friends and, and asked them for writer recommendations and got in touch with people they'd recommended and read the scripts and met with those people. And that was how I, I found Anthony. And I remember the first meeting me and Anthony ever had. And I, I liked the fact that he politely I suppose politely disagreed with me when he 
when he didn't agree with me. Like, I want to work with people who can be honest with me. I don't want to work with people who are just going to say, you know, that's a great idea when it's not a great idea. And obviously there needs to be room for healthy debate. And as the as the director and the leader of the project, you then have to take that information from your collaborator and essentially gauge whether or not you agree with it or whether you really actually feel steadfast in your idea. And so I think that's something is like, I'm not always looking for somebody to collaborate with who, you know, aligns exactly with everything I think. I think it's really healthy to have different points of view and um, different approaches and, you know, people who maybe don't necessarily work in the type of film or genre that you're working in because they're going to bring something else to that, something fresh. So, yeah, I suppose that's a few a few of the long-term collaborators. I could go on, but I'm sure there's other questions. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think it, it just shows you know, keeping an open mind seems to be a big part of what you're saying. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons it's so successful. You've got lots of different perspectives there, haven't you? Um, what, now, when you were approaching these people, dare I ask, what kind of position were you in financially? Was the film financed? Were you in a position to offer people concrete work or was it at that stage you were trying to get the film made? Um, do you mean with, with approaching people for censor? Yes, or, yeah. Um, so I was talking, for example, I mean, me and my co-writer Anthony were working on censor. We made, a lot of us made Nasty together, my short film, which was sort of, uh, connected to censor in terms of its DNA. Um, nobody got paid for the short films. Like we were, we were all working for for nothing on those projects. And um, censor was something I was always discussing with my core collaborators. So Anthony and I were developing the idea for censor for a few years before we actually went and applied for development funding and got any money for it so there's always a certain amount of legwork that you're doing before you're getting paid as a writer or usually there is anyway particularly with a debut um Annika my DOP you know I would just talk to her about the project all the time and I everybody was so excited by it that you know ultimately when it comes to crew you know that they're only going to actually come on board when you've got the budget to make the film. But the conversations that I was having with those people and the belief between us that we would get to make this film and the passion that we all had to make the film was there for years before making it. So, I mean, in terms of those long-term relationships, the conversations were ongoing. When it came to new collaborators, for example, my editor, Mark Towns, um, my production designer, Paulina Zizhezoska, and my composer, Emily Levianese Farouche, they were all people that I worked with for the first time on Censor. So I approached them at the point where we were crewing up those roles. I do tend to want to crew up as early as possible because I think that, well, there's a few, a few reasons. One is that it's an incredibly busy industry and people get booked up way in advance so you might really want to work with a specific editor but you get in there too late and it's just not possible so getting in there earlier you know you've got a better chance but then on a creative level having that thinking time you know allowing that 
project to sort of sit in that person's head, I think is hugely beneficial. Um, having room for you to have conversations and introduce that team member to other HODs, for example, I you know, had a meeting way before we even shot the film with my sound designer and my editor. Um, I like to bring my HODs together in order for them to get to know each other and for us all to be having a conversation about the world that we're building in terms of this story and, and this film and how we're going to um, approach it creatively and also how people are going to work practically as well. Because if you think, for example, about the relationship between the production designer and the cinematographer, they're, they're collaborating, you know, they shouldn't be separate. Uh, a production designer is uh, putting, you know, even on the simple level of practicals, practical lights and how you're going to build a set in order to be able to shoot it. What colours are we using and how is that going to work with the lights? All of those conversations, I think, are important for us all to be having together and feeding off each other's ideas and being inspired by other departments. So I like to have that web working as early as possible. And what was the transition like from short films to feature film? How was your first week, for example? Um, well, it's a slow uh, ease into that first week of shooting in some ways. Or, well, I don't know if slow is the right word, but, you know, you're approaching that debut or that first feature film for such a long time. Um, it, you know, we were in prep for five weeks and we shot for five weeks on sensor. And so by the time we were in the first week, we'd all been spending a lot of time together in prep. So it felt quite natural in lots of ways. I mean, essentially, you're not you're not doing anything different on a feature to what you do on a short, except it's a longer story that you're handling and it's a much longer shoot. So there's, you know, um, it's exhausting. I think that's the main thing that that's the biggest difference is, you know, the, the energy that you need um, and the way you need to look after yourself in order to kind of maintain yourself across that longer period of time. Um, but I think ultimately it's all about prep, you know, and understanding that you're telling a longer story and breaking that story down and really understanding why every scene is in the film. Um, when I was in my prep for censor before I got to like official prep, um, when you're working with the rest of the crew, I broke down the whole film um, in a kind of PowerPoint document, which nobody sort of said, do this. I talked to lots of different directors and tried to cherry pick the ways that they prep um, but I thought well actually particularly with a film like Censor where you have so many specific references because it's set during this period and it's referencing these specific films I felt that having one document where I could kind of almost pull in all my different ideas whether they were for production design sound cinematography that I could almost sort of just pull them all into one place and then share that with my crew I ended up with these kind of three massive powerpoints um, but it was a really helpful way for me to work through the project um, scene by scene uh, moment by moment really 
um, I guess trying to articulate exactly what I was trying to achieve with each sequence or each scene. Um, and something else that I did that I think is was really beneficial, and I stole this from um, from Francis Ford Coppola. Um, so Francis Ford Coppola, when he was uh, working on The Godfather, he he broke down the book uh, into what he calls the Godfather Notebook, and it's a massive book that you can buy. And he broke down every scene in the book, which ultimately became the film by you know five points and I can never remember every single point but it's things like theme images but one of the things that he broke down was pitfalls you know how could this scene not work what are the things that could make the story go wrong if x doesn't happen in this scene um and I I thought that's really helpful for me to be able to just think about the scenes like that you know how could the rest of the film not work if this doesn't work in this scene. So I'd ask myself questions like that. And that helped me to identify the important, the really most key important elements of each scene, which means when you're going in on the day and you've only got a certain amount of time, you know what your priorities are in terms of story. Um, so an example of that could be uh, when Enid watches Don't Go in the Church uh, for the first time, which is a film that she watches that kind of recreates a, a, a memory that she's having difficulty accessing. I knew if if that scene, if her watching that film didn't really hit her, if it didn't really affect her, then we wouldn't understand the next parts of her journey. So that was then something that I could take and talk to Neve Alga, who played the lead character Enid, you know, I, I could then construct the scene around what I needed from the performance. You know, what did I need to tap into in Enid? And if I didn't get it, then I would be in, in trouble later. So it, it was things like that that I guess were really useful kind of, yeah, techniques that I sort of started to inherit and, and create in order to find my way through that prep because prepping a feature at first felt like a big hurdle for me, you know, cause you're used to doing a 10 page script, shot listing that or a 15 page script and suddenly it's 90 pages and it, it can feel a bit overwhelming, but I think it was just finding those ways in and, and, and figuring out a few techniques. I'm sure that will be really helpful for a lot of people watching. Thank you for that. We've had one question, which I'll come to in a second, but just to remind people, feel free to get your questions in. I wanted to ask about what do you think the advantages and disadvantages are of, of having a genre film or horror film as your first feature? Um, I think it's widely known as an advantage to, to make a genre film. I think in the past it's been considered a... a a genre of film horror being a genre of film that were because it's got an audience you know a, a very kind of avid fan base that um and there's this kind of myth which i don't fully understand that it's cheaper to make a horror but the idea is that if you make a great horror you've got an audience for it so it's going to get seen by people and if it's a good one then you know they'll be kind of uh, you know, excitement around it. I, I think maybe in the past, perhaps horror has been 
less expensive to make but i i don't really understand the myth around it being a cheaper genre to make because you have a lot of special effects you have a lot of added things stunts and things that that actually push the budget up higher um but i think ultimately it comes down to that um idea that you can kind of get your your film in front of people and that if it's a hit then you you get known so i think some people have kind of broken out with horror films and made horror films as their debut and perhaps it's also because people think they're easier you know that because of the audience that they're maybe easier to finance um whereas you know if a financier is like who's going to come and watch this coming of age drama um you might not have as many people biting i don't really think there are necessarily any negatives to making I think as long as you, as long as you have something to say um, within the genre, and you're not just doing it because you want to make other kinds of films, I think that's the important thing: is is don't just see it as a as a stepping stone to what you really want to be doing. I think people can see through that. So. Well, you clearly had a lot to say with Sensor. I mean, every time I watch it, I'm still unpacking it. I love it. Um, were there any particular moments on set that you found challenging um, and you learned something that maybe you could pass on to the people watching and listening? Yeah, I mean, like any filmmaker watching him now, it, there's so many challenges on set. And I think, you know, one of the big, big ones is time, always. Um, you know, there's never enough time and and you're always up against it. And I experienced that on my shorts as well. And and ultimately, as long as you're prepped, as long as you know going in what you want to achieve and you've planned it, even if for whatever reason that doesn't happen, even if it, you know, perhaps you run out of time and you can't shoot a scene the way you want to, at least you've plotted it through in your head and you you know what you're trying to get out of this and you can adapt um, based on the prep that you've already done. Uh, I think, you know, a massive challenge and my DOP will definitely <laughs> back me up on this one was shooting in a forest um, at night in winter in the north of England. Um, it was horrendous weather and... I mean, I don't really know exactly what you come away from learning apart from don't write films in a forest, but that's never going to stop me. <laughs> um, there were there were scenes that I anticipated being more challenging, like there were the scenes that I kind of went in thinking. This is this is the scene I'm worried about, but then actually those weren't the scenes that ended up being the most challenging, so I, I remember being quite concerned about the scene where I had all the sensors sat around the boardroom simply because there were so many actors in the room and I'd, I'd never you know had so many actors of that caliber in one scene at the same time um, and thinking about you know making sure you give everybody the right level of attention and covering everybody but actually that wasn't that problematic a scene to shoot it was you know, it was actually the the scenes later in the film that were were slightly more challenging, mainly because of the environment that we were shooting in. Um, and so 
you know, again, just coming back always to how can you allow yourself more time? That's always the thing. And, and that comes with prep and with planning and with making sure that you're not trying to do too much um, in a short space of time, essentially. You mentioned something earlier, which I'd like to come back to. You said you've got to make sure you're looking after yourself. I mean, other than obviously like trying to sleep and eating healthily, are there any other tips you can pass on to people watching about that? I th Well, I mean, eating healthily is a big one and actually making sure you eat. Um, <laughs> I had one day on set where I actually didn't eat dinner the night before and it was my worst day ever and so literally no matter what time because when you're doing night shoots as well you might be getting home at like six in the morning so you're quite topsy-turvy in terms of your your eating so sometimes I would just get back to to the apartment and make a horrible microwave meal and poke it down my mouth you know I literally just felt like this weird <laughs> weird kind of creature that I'm just like putting this stuff in my mouth and swallowing like it didn't even feel like eating but I knew if I didn't do that then the next day I uh I wouldn't be able to function but um yeah I think making sure that you have time out as well that you do have a bit of time for your brain to switch off because during prep the evenings and the weekends were the times for me to do my own prep shot listing or working with my DOP um, because during the day in prep you're location scouting and you're going and looking at you know things with production design and looking at costume and rehearsing and all that kind of thing um, then the time that you do have for yourself is your own prep time so you're then working on shot lists and maybe like planning scenes and tweaking the script and all of those things but I think yeah, making sure that you do allow a little bit of time and I try to do this now when I'm writing as well because you can become obsessed with projects or maybe you have a couple of things that you're writing or you think oh I should spend my days off researching I always try to make sure that I've got a bit of time that is just for my brain to switch off and weirdly that's a lot of the time when the ideas come um it's like meditation when you kind of step back from something everything sort of bubbles up but so I think yeah making sure that you find time for that go for a walk you know sit and read something not to do with your project that's really important and hard when you're in in production I bet I bet and well our, our first question actually maybe slightly ties into this it's an interesting one question is how can someone with social anxiety and low self-esteem or low self-confidence rather work well as a director and know how to share their vision um that's a really good question and I would suggest finding people to surround yourself um, with in terms of your kind of closer collaborators whether that's uh, you're working with a writer or a DOP or perhaps it's a producer who you can really build a trusting relationship with I think that's really key that you have that kind of support because then you can kind of grow together and build up your confidence um, I think it's also okay sometimes to say I'm a bit nervous if you are um, people actually that can help people relax because they might be a bit nervous as well um so 
having a kind of level of honesty about how you feel with other people is is fine. I would say there's a really good book that has been amazing for me in the past called Art and Fear. Um, and I would recommend to every person who is creative to read that book because it's all about how scary it is to create. Um, and I think it's got a, a quote for it's a, a Hippocrates quote <laughs> um, from like 400 BC at the, at the front of the book that talks about like how art is difficult and judgment is difficult. And you think, wow, this is something that has been there forever for every artist and it's normal. And when I've had like times where I've maybe been, you know, doubting myself or doubting what I'm doing, that book is has been a really good resource for me to go and, and realize that it's not just you that feels like that. It's actually part of the process and part of creating. That's really interesting and I'm sure very helpful. Thank you. Next question is from Holly. How do you connect with your producers? Um, that's a good question. I think, um, I think ultimately it's about the project and making sure that you're all really passionate about the project. I mean, I'm thinking about like, why do I choose to work with those particular producers? Um, I think there's an element of instinct, you know, a feeling that you get about a person and whether you feel like you can communicate with that person whether you like that person, it's really important because as a director and also as a writer, you will be working with that producer, hopefully if all goes well for years. Um, you know, it's a long process making a feature film and you need to like each other because you're gonna be ha having to like overcome hurdles together. Um, so I think being able to be open and honest with that, producer um feeling inspired by them in some way feeling like they've got your back and that they really care about the project and that they're excited about it and they're going to back it all the way I think those are the things that I look for in a producer and then I mean I guess in terms of connecting that's a, a really interesting question I I kind of I would sort of go back to how you'd connect with anybody I suppose and just spending time with them and finding points of reference and getting a sense of what drives them and finding asking questions of them understanding them understanding why they want to produce what their goals are you know all of those things that allow you both to be part of the process and then hopefully through the work finding even further points of interest um, I hope that's helpful anyway. I'm sure it is. And it's, it's so true. I'm sure in every case that, you know, just getting on really well with someone is so important. Yeah. It's following your instincts. Yeah. And um, now Eleanor says, hi, Prana, congrats on Sensor. How much room did you have to experiment and see what happened in the moment on the shoot alongside planning in advance? Did the shoot require that most choices had to be quite fixed in advance? Uh, would you like to have more room to play on the day? And Eleanor says, I asked this as a planner who is wondering about the balance to strike. Uh, well, I relate to that very much. And it's funny because there was a scene in my short film, Nasty, where 
I, I was talking earlier about how sometimes you plan and plan and plan and then you just can't achieve what you plan to do. In this particular case, it was because we had we were supposed to have an hour or an hour and 20 minutes to shoot a scene and it ended up being 20 minutes. Um, in that scene, what was really interesting was that I'd planned everything. I'd had this tracking shot and I had everything kind of marked in terms of where I was shooting. And suddenly that all went out the window and everything had to go handheld. Because I'd planned the scene, I knew where I wanted the camera to be. So I was like, okay, we're here. She runs in, we follow over here, you know. And what I found in the edit was the scene was way better than it, I think it, it would have been had I ended up shooting it the way I'd planned it. Um, I was forced to give the scene this energy by shooting it handheld, which luckily suited the energy of the scene. And it made me come away and think, God, so annoying. <laughs> you know, should I, should I be allowing myself to have more freedom on set? You know, so I'm, I'm constantly having that conversation with myself so I can really relate to the question. The thing I suppose on Sensor and on Nasty was that we were shooting on film. And so shooting on film, you have to be quite tight in terms of the way you plan. You can't really let it roll. You can't really um, improvise, uh, unfortunately, because we just didn't have the stock in order to, to afford to do that. So I had to be quite careful in terms of what I was shooting and knowing that I needed it. Um, so I didn't have a huge amount of space for um, experimentation, but then I would always go into a scene with an open mind, particularly in terms of performance and in terms of blocking, because once you start working with the actors, you might find a whole other way to bring the scene to life. So it's a little bit of a balance between the two, um, but I, I'd always love to do something where I get to experiment more. And I have, created projects for myself in the past like I did a music video called Poltergeist where I played all the characters myself which seems really egotistical but actually wasn't even because I wanted to act it was simply because I wanted the freedom on set to experiment and I knew that if I had fewer people in the crew then I could just play and we could shoot for as long as we wanted to and have ideas so it ended up just being me and my DOP Annika um, and it was brilliant I mean I ended up with hours and hours of footage which then I cut down to a three minute video um, and it was planned because I had to plan reverse shots when you've got the same person playing all the characters obviously that can get a bit complicated um, and I had a body double and stuff for certain shots um, but that was like almost like a playground that I created for myself in order to be free and I loved it and I, I would absolutely love to make more work like that but when you're working you know on something with such high stakes as your debut feature and you're shooting on film there's not as much room to to work in that way. Next question is, who would you love to work with? 
when it's um, yourself, obviously <laughs> I keep I keep little lists of like actors in different places and I always lose but the recent reminder that I had was Paul Dano I just think he's amazing and every time I see him and obviously I've just watched the Batman <laughs> um but <laughs> I that, you know <laughs> I, I I saw him and I was just like oh my god I'd forgotten how much I want to work with Paul Dano I just think he's brilliant um yeah there's so many uh brilliant actors that I just keep notes notes about um and I'm always trying to find the less obvious choices as well um yeah I I can't I can't think of anything off the top of my head so I apologize but there's plenty yeah no that's a good one though absolutely next question is how long do you usually spend in rehearsals when I started working with Helen Jones, my producer on Sensor, uh, right at the beginning of development, I said a couple of things to her, which I think uh, they were really helpful things to tell a producer early on, particularly a producer who's listening and wants to help you um, achieve things the way that you want to achieve them. I told her I wanted to shoot on film, um, which sometimes producers go, ah, no, like, impossible and luckily she saw the value of shooting on film and she you know tried to find ways to incorporate incorporate that into the budget and started making connections with Kodak and and that kind of thing and Cinelab um, but the other thing I said was that I wanted to rehearse um, because for me that time you get with the actors in advance of being on set is just so valuable, whether or not that even means you're really delving into the scenes or whether or not you're talking around the characters and around the story and getting to know one another. Um, so she built rehearsals in, but obviously some actors aren't available for rehearsals. And even when it's built in on a film like Sensor where you don't have a very big budget, um, the amount of time I'd get with the actors was was slim. So I might have a couple of hours, for example, Michael Smiley, you know, I had about two hours with him on a day in advance of, of starting the shoot. Um, and that was with him and Neve. And, you know, we, we got to know each other and talked through the scene and we blocked the scene. And that was really helpful for me um and also helpful for them because they started to understand exactly how I was envisioning envisioning things um and also I had my stunt coordinator come in so we could sort of talk a little bit about how we were going to approach the kind of more physical aspects of those scenes um so I'd always like as much as time as possible but it partly depends on how long the actor's going to be on screen for. And for some of the actors, I actually met them in person for the first time on set and perhaps only had a phone call with them in advance. Um, so every bit of information I was giving that actor on that phone call was so important because you're sowing seeds um, that they can then go away and think about and mull over and hopefully that means that you they'll be coming to the shoot with the same idea about that character as as what you have um, and you're not going to hit any kind of complications on the day that they've misinterpreted the character or seen the character in a really different way to how you see see them but then you know with an actor like Neve Alga we cast Enid very very early on and Neve was really um 
I mean, she was amazing to work with and so dedicated to the role. And we were both so keen to make this as good as we possibly could. So we put our time in and we were we were Skyping every week um, while she was shooting in Cape Town and talking about the character, um, you know, talking about the physicalities. I introduced her to my costume designer so we could start talking about costume. And that was where the idea of her glasses came from. And um, some of the physical ideas came from Neve, like, you know, the way she picks at her finger. And um, that was all because, you know, I'd been thinking about this character for years and writing the script for years. And I wanted to take all of those ideas and share them with the actor um, so that that she can internalize that and understand that and then also come back with her ideas that I had time to then, you know, put either into the script or work with in terms of maybe it was the way her her house, you know, what was Enid's flat like? And, you know, those ideas are really the way that you can kind of echo things around different departments. So even things like when I rehearsed with the film censors, I got them all to write down at one point on a post-it note what was on their desk at work. And we were obviously in like a a studio space that wasn't where we were shooting we were just having a rehearsal and I took all of those post-it notes and gave them to the um, production design team so they tried to find as many of those things as they could to go on those characters desks and and then when the actors arrived they were like oh wow that's my copy of Ulysses or that's my <laughs> you know that's my tape deck or my David Bowie tape and things that no, the camera's not going to see, but it just allows the actor to feel more at home in the space and at home in the character. And um, I can't even remember what the first, what the actual question was now. I'm just kind of talking about rehearsals. But I mean, yeah, I love rehearsals and I love that space to just be with the actors before you're in that really pressured situation. And, and also in your answer, you very cleverly um, answered another question about getting the best out of actors. So I'm going to consider <laughs> that one answered very well. Um, Alexander says, what advice do you have for someone with no experience in the industry who wants to be a director? Well, the first thing I would say is you're probably already doing this, which is watch lots of films. Um, because I think that's how we all learn about story. We're all experts on story because we watch you know, like just the same way as we're all experts on football, <laughs> but even though we're nowhere near as good at playing as as the people we watch on TV, but um, we're all experts on story because we're consuming story all the time. So watch consciously, um, watch things that really had an impact on you and try to understand how that had an impact on you. Go back, watch it again, break it down you know, analyze it and figure out why, why did that move me? Why did that make me feel tense? That's something all of us can do, you know, for free pretty much. Um, then I would say, try to find ways to meet other filmmakers. Um, obviously, if you want to direct, perhaps you want to write your own work. So it might be worth starting to think about the kind of films you want to make and starting to write those scripts or if you want to direct and you know you don't want to write then how do you meet writers um, and I think going to things like this but also trying to find 
events and film festivals, perhaps locally, that you can go to and meet other filmmakers and watch short films. Um, I think that's that's the key, really, is for me, it was always about how do you find the people that you're going to do this with? Because, I mean, if we're talking about fiction, film, generally, we don't do that on our own. We do it in teams. And so going out and actively trying to find those people, but then also what you can do if you want to, uh, you know, get experience is what I did when I started out getting job a job as a runner on productions, um, you know, in the area that you would like to be working in, just trying to get on set, um, trying to put yourself in front of people who need scripts reading and who might need feedback and just trying to get, into the industry in those ways which that's exactly how I I kind of started as well that's great and I think that's answered one or two of our other questions as well people keen to know how to if they can't get onto a scheme so that's really helpful thank you um I actually had had a question um a little bit about the, the kind of marketing of the film and the film festivals after Sensor had come out can you talk a little bit briefly about what that experience was like for you as a first-time feature filmmaker well, we premiered at Sundance 2021 and um, I didn't ever think that I was going to sleep through the world premiere of my debut feature. But <laughs> because it was um, obviously in a COVID period, as we're in still now, but hopefully coming out of it a little bit. Um, but that was when, you know, Sundance was for the first time it went online. And so it was this sort of bittersweet experience where you kind of always imagine going and watching your film with an audience for the first time. And obviously that didn't happen. It changed things because the nerves were different. You know, there wasn't a way for me to read the room. Um, so those first, um, those first kind of reviews and things coming out um, around the film were my first way of gauging whether it had done what we wanted it to do and and luckily they were really positive and the reaction online actually because we ended up at an online festival we had a much bigger audience because our audience was capped at 5,000 um, whereas if we'd have played in a cinema it would have been a few hundred people that would have had the opportunity to see it so it kind of it was amazing lots of people online reacting and I think that was great for the film um, and then we were quite quickly off the back of that into um, looking at our uh, American release, North American release. Um, so straight into talking about posters and uh, trailers off the back of Sundance. Um, and I was quite, you know, me and my producer were both heavily involved in that. And the distributors that we worked with, um, Magnolia Pictures in the US and Vertigo in the UK, were really collaborative and and we were very involved in the artwork and those kind of decisions which was great um but it was a really kind of fun and weird time because covid changed everything so cinema releases last year were a different kettle of fish like we had to move at one point from june to august because um, because of the way things were panning out with other films being released. And then once we did open and I did my Q&A tour, um, we were kind of at like reduced capacity. So I'd go to cinemas that were sold out, but it was sold out at 50%. <laughs> so it was, you know, 
a weird experience in that sense but then on the other side amazing to finally be in front of an audience and actually having real life q and a's and meeting people and and hearing the reactions that people had that they would never say on a zoom or in a public sphere you know people coming and telling you things that really were moving about their own lives and the way they'd reacted to the film and things that you know you wouldn't you wouldn't get if you're in your little bubble doing everything online um so I think it was probably quite a unique experience as I'm sure anybody who's released a debut over the last few years uh, would agree with definitely it must have made it even all the more extraordinary and strange uh, in equal measure and we won't be able to get to all the questions I'm afraid it's lovely that people have been so enthusiastic but what I want to ask you finally Prano is what's going on with you now are you making a second feature yeah I'm writing uh, a number of projects at the moment so I basically um it, it's quite weird being a, a writer director because it's sort of a bit schizophrenic in terms of you know when you're in production you're just it's like you know it's crazy and you're out and about all the time and it's your your schedule is not your own and then on the other side of it you're writing and it's all very internal and thoughtful and measured and and a, a sort of slower more controlled pace of life so I'm in that period right now and working on a few projects that I'm really excited about so I don't know what will be the next one but um yeah, I'd be happy for it to be any of the films I'm working on. Um, do you think there's a, you'll continue in the horror genre generally as a rule? Um, I've got projects that definitely are horror and projects that perhaps are not horror, you know, but they're all dark. <laughs> you know, you know I, I am working on something that is slightly funnier, um, but it's still incredibly dark. Uh, so, yeah. I, I can't see myself going off and doing a really light rom-com at this stage, um, but yeah, uh, a, a mix. We'd expect nothing less. Don't go soft on us. <laughs> this is why we like your work. Um, well, Bruno, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you again. And you know, thank you so much. I, I can tell that everyone's really enjoyed hearing from you and hearing your tips. Um, massive thanks to the audience and um, for your questions and for tuning in. And before you go, just a quick mention that if you enjoyed this session, there are more sessions happening online all of this week. The next one is Game Startups tomorrow at 12 p.m. And there's a link in the chat now where you can explore the rest of the Guru Live Spring program. So thank you so much again, Prano Bailey Bond. It's been a real pleasure. Thank pleasure. you. Lovely to see you, Anna. Take care. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. And remember, you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.